It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from Microsoft Surface. Now more than ever, you need a laptop that can be as adaptable as you are. Introducing Microsoft Surface Laptop Go. Finally, a premium laptop at an affordable price. Starting at just $549, its light, thin design, vibrant touchscreen, powerful processor, and built-in HD camera and mic turns any room in your home into a classroom, office, or study hall. Available in three amazing colors the whole family will love. Visit surface.com slash laptop go for more details. Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. You are Locked on Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I am Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is the kickoff of the positions week we're doing on the Locked On Podcast Network, which means an episode per day on the different positions. And how I'm interpreting that is that on, on a given day, I will talk about if a player straddles multiple positions, how they are at that spot. So for a player like Draymond Green, he'll be talked about in the power forward one and the center one. And that's relevant today because it's the point guards, and that's Ian Clark because he plays both positions. And so I'll keep it pretty rigid within that framework, but it provides a nice lens for talking about teams and especially the Warriors in particular. And it's a great place to start for them because that begins with Stephen Curry, who up until this very point was the alpha and the omega of this team, as great as all the other players are. And the sequence of everything last season made some loose sight of just how remarkable Stephen Curry's regular season was. There's a very good argument that it was one of the, if not the single best offensive season in in NBA history. He was somehow able to increase his usage, so he went up to 32.6% of possessions when he was on the floor with per Kevin Pelton, but he also improved his efficiency. He was a 669 in true shooting percentage, which was the best in the league, so he was somehow able to take more shots and make more shots, and that's, of course, more present in threes than anything else. He had the most threes in NBA history, and I'll go through some crazy stats with that a little bit later, but in terms of other stuff, depending on how familiar we're you are with advanced stats, so-called advanced stats. John Hollinger's PER player efficiency rating. Curry had the eighth best season of all time behind three Wilt Chamberlain seasons, two LeBron James seasons, and two Michael Jordan seasons. So definitely not bad company. He had the number one season of all time in offensive BPM, which is box score plus minus, and number 10 in of all time in VORP, which is value over replacement player. And another one that is not as much of that kind of advanced stats, but it does tell part of the story is that the Warriors scored 116.7 points per 100 possessions with Curry on the floor, which is absolutely insane, way beyond the league leader, not only for individuals, but of course for teams. And one thing that I really enjoyed, and I'll probably bring this up in the small forwards too, is that the highest non-warrior in that what's called offensive rating is Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant had 113.4, so a little bit of a step down, but definitely a step down. And Curry was really the part of that because the Warriors have a lot of other really talented guys, Draymond, Clay Thompson, but Curry was the engine behind a lot of that. I mean, his offense, his ability to, to shoot threes both off the dribble and being one of the best catch and shoot guys in the league, which is underappreciated because he doesn't get to do it that much anymore. 
And so you have all of that kind of stuff. And I, I talk, for those of you who are familiar with my work, about the Curry stats rabbit hole with some frequency just because what he's doing is absolutely insane. And I wanted to throw a couple of those in here just because I do really enjoy it. And so he had the most threes ever, 402, most in a season. He has three of the top four seasons in NBA history and four of the top seven, which is absolutely incredible. And what might be more striking than that is that he had 218 pull-up threes. So that means that he had multiple dribbles it's not a catch and shoot situation. 218 three pull up threes overall would have been fourth in the league, and he made 43% of those. 43 is a crazy high number for anything, much less for the threes that are harder than anything else. Only one guy in the top 30 of three point makes had that total, including catch and shoots, and that was JJ Redick, who I think was at 47. And the next guy down, why it's top 30 is because Kawhi had a higher one, shooting much fewer shots, and of course, much less difficult ones because he doesn't do as much in terms of pull ups. And also, on more of a career note, Curry is already 19th in career made threes and he'll pass Dirk Nowitzki probably this season before Dirk retires. And Curry is 28. He turns 29 in March. And from a contract perspective, he's in the final year of that incredibly valuable rookie extension. He's making a little bit more than $12 million this year, which is an absolute bargain and what helped make a lot of the craziness that has happened for the Warriors from getting Andre Guadalla to signing Kevin Durant possible. He will be an unrestricted free agent next summer with, with full bird rights. And depending on what happens with everything else, I talked about this a little bit on the inaugural episode, He might that contract might help them one more time because having a low salary means that he has a low salary cap hold for next year and he will of course make his full maximum assuming he comes back to the Warriors and they'll have full bird rights so they can do that they can jump up just like when a a guy on a cheap rookie deal goes to a new contract like Bradley Beal this year Kawhi last year so they will get that benefit if they need it depending on what happens with Durant and how how he resigns assuming he does the other thing I wanted to talk about with Curry is the big kind of boogeyman if you want to call it that is minutes played so in the regular season last year he played 34 minutes a game and he played 33 the year before. That's a a really small difference, and both of those were less than what he did under Mark Jackson. And it's a, a fair barometer of where he should be. Maybe you take him off a little bit. One of the questions will be with him, and it will be a, a question they have to ask the training staff, is would it be better for him sometimes maybe to sit out a game as opposed to playing fewer minutes per game? And that's a question I can't answer. Might not even be a question Coach Kirk can answer at this point. But they will want to, to limit that. And while it's hard to know exactly what factored into Curry's injuries during the playoffs, it certainly didn't help. You know, it's just, it's another risk factor if you want to use use terminology that people do for various things in health. It's, it's another risk factor. And it's hard to think of what their motivation could be to push as hard because last year they had the double whammy of the Spurs really close on them and the prospect of making history, which they ended up doing with 73 wins. So assuming that both of those are, are off the table or even just one of them is off the table, that should be able to lessen the load. And another big thing for Kerr and this will be a point on Locked on Warriors with some frequency is that Kerr's going to have to get more comfortable with the idea of pulling his starters at a reasonable time because he there are reasons going back to a Phoenix Suns game I think in his first year coaching where the backups blew the lead there were actually a couple games last year too that he wasn't comfortable with that and they're absolutely going to have to be because they saw from what Cleveland did and how LeBron was able to take his foot off the gas for a lot of the regular season then put it back on again that they're going to need their best at the end of the season and if you can pull 
put fewer miles on the tires and everything like that, it certainly does help. And that's also relevant for Curry's backup, Sean Livingston. And Livingston is a fascinating player because he's 31. He actually just had his birthday a week ago today. And he has fewer miles on his tires, but that's because of a catastrophic knee injury. And going back to the idea of minutes is that he hasn't played more than 20 minutes a game as a Warrior. He did the year before as a Brooklyn Net. They did have a greater need for it than the Warriors did, but he'll probably do, he'll probably stay in that role. And why I want to talk about this at the outset with Livingston is because that limitation, if we want to call it that, truly affects the way the Warriors need to think about their rotation because Livingston isn't able really to scale up in terms of minutes if Curry is injured. And this was a, a problem last year. So what that means is that you need to think about the surrounding talent a little bit differently because you want to get that support from someone else. And Livingston is fantastic. He's one of the best backups in the NBA. But one of the niches that you like to have your backups be able to do is be able to scale into starter minutes when the starter sits and then have somebody else go into the backup role. And the Warriors, as they did in the finals, would have to handle that a little bit differently. He can increase his minutes, you know, in those stretches, you know, bump it up maybe to 20 to like more to 25, but you don't want to push it too hard. And Livingston is in the final year of a three-year contract. He's going to make about 5.8 million this year. He signed with the mid-level exception. And it's one of the best contracts with the mid-level exception that has happened in the modern NBA, especially with this collective bargaining agreement. Nate Duncan and I did a podcast actually about that. And I think I settled on Livingston because of his role in the championship, though there are other contenders like Jamal Crawford is certainly one of those as well. And so he's only averaged more than 22 minutes a game once in the last six years. And that was that year with Brooklyn that I mentioned before. And what is fascinating is that his assist turnover and rebound rates are all pretty stable post-injury. So he's been largely similar to the same guy, and that's rate, so that means it scales with minutes and everything else. And on that note with minutes, one other stat with that is that he only broke 30 minutes eight times as a Warrior, and he's been here for 201 games. That's only 4%. So really getting into that mode, even when they've had issues with Curry being out for for various things, and that includes the playoffs. So that's 201 total games. But so since those those things have been largely, the assist, turnover, and rebound have been pretty stable, he kind of is what he is. But that's a good thing for the Warriors because Livingston has been one of the best backups in the league. Last season, ESPN's Real Plus Minus, which is a black box stat and is not rankings, put him as the uh, 20th point guard, though their position stuff is a little bit wonky. And they had him as a slight negative on offense, but a larger positive on defense. So a net slight positive. That seems that seems fair. You know, I might switch the balancing a little bit, but in terms of him being a slight positive, and while that seems like faint praise, it really is praise because the NBA has some teams that have major issues with depth at point guard and the Warriors are not one of those teams. They have the best starter in the league and they have one of the best backups in the league. And well, I said he was 20th and that looks like a starter. You have to remember that RPM doesn't necessarily love certain starters. A guy like Kyrie, it was negative with last year. And also when you look in the 20 range, guys that are around him are Marcus Smart, Corey Joseph, Del Vidova. Those guys were also among the best backup point guards in the league. Delhi's going to be starting for Milwaukee this year, but that's pretty much the group that he's in. And then the other factor in this, of course, with putting him with backups is that he's pretty much limited to that role because of the minutes restrictions that he's been on. Part of what makes Sean Livingston such a distinct player in the league is where his offense comes from. So he is one of the best players in the entire league in terms of pull-ups. As I said with Curry, that means that you have multiple dribbles before you shot. He was 13th in effective field goal percentage, despite three-pointers being a much more valuable part because three-pointers in effective field goal percentage count more because there were three points as opposed to two. 
And for reference, Stephen Curry was number two in that behind Omri Caspi, who was number one, which is pretty amazing. Livingston made 52% of his shots from 10 to 15 feet last year, which was the best in his career among the seasons with more than 250 minutes played. That is a really good percentage there. And one dynamic, which Warriors fans can attest to, is that in recent years, Livingston has shot better from 10 to 15 feet than 3 to 9. So that takes out the layups and dunks when they happen. It's more like the close mid-range versus the far mid-range. And he also shoots more from that from that distance and using his size really does help there. And you have fewer trees, you know, those really tall guys where he has less of a size advantage. And last year, 40% of Livingston's attempts were in that 10 to 15 foot range. And the next closest was 26%. So it goes from about four, four and tenths to about a quarter of his shots. And that was at the rim. And most players want to shoot most of their shots either at the rim or three if they're a really good shooter. But Livingston not only makes a lot of mid-rangers, he takes a lot of mid-rangers. And that is an unusual asset, but it's a very useful one. And it could make him a very logical complement to Kevin Durant because Durant doesn't occupy the same space on the floor. Durant is a dangerous, deadly three-point shooter. And Durant can shoot from above the break. And so then if you compare those guys with another player who can shoot corner threes, then you have a different kind of spacing, but it's certainly spacing that works. And one other thing to note for Livingston before getting into some other stuff is that he's getting to the line a little bit less as a warrior than he did in the rest of his career, but that's pretty much true of this team in general. There aren't really that many players that get to the line a whole lot. It's not really a focus for them for various reasons. We'll see if that changes now that Andrew Bogut and Festus Azili aren't on the team anymore, and they were two of the culprits, if you want to call it that, for free throw shooting. So that is something to watch, whether some players, including Livingston, can get to the line a little bit more. But also, when when Livingston's getting those shots in the mid-range and he's making them, that's a little bit better than him going to the free throw line just because he's so efficient at it and it really can mess with the defense. In terms of expectations, Livingston should probably be close to what he was the last two seasons, a very effective backup, largely playing the same amount of minutes. It will be a bigger challenge to see how they use him. Will they pair him with Durant? Will they pair him as kind of an anchor for the second unit? Will they maybe bounce it around a little bit? It would be great to see him play more with Curry and or Thompson just because he fits well with them and they're shooting and Curry can play really well off the ball. So that is a combination I talked in the 2015 playoffs about how I really like the TLC lineups, which is the three of those guys playing together, Thompson, Livingston, and Curry. And they could go to that a little bit more if they want to, just depending on on everything else. And also, will Livingston play in garbage time and things like that? Like there are a lot of really important, interesting questions with him. I realize now that I forgot to mention my expectations for Stephen Curry and it seems like a a little bit of a hedge but it's a reasonable one is that he'll be almost as good as he was last year but a little bit of a step below and what will be an important consideration with Steph is that his counting stats will probably go down because they just added a player in Durant who uses a lot of possessions who has the ball in his hands a lot and what that does to players is that it often makes them you know have less counting stats have less have less less points maybe fewer assists depending on how how it all shakes out you know if Curry makes the first pass versus the second pass, which will hurt his MVP case, you know, as we'll just having Kevin Durant, but he should still be in that mix. 
Again, that goes back to the idea of him having one of the best offensive seasons in NBA history. And it also goes into the idea of this potentially being in a weak year in terms of MVP candidates on top teams. We'll see what happens with the Clippers. Chris Paul is always a consideration. LeBron might take his foot off the gas pedal again this year because he got a lot of confirmation that it works. So Curry might actually have an easier road depending on what happens with Durant because some of the other best players in the league are on teams that are a little further down. Russell Westbrook on on the Thunder is another example. And historically, players on teams outside of the top two or three in their conference don't win the MVP award. So if Curry's really competing with Durant, LeBron, and you know whoever else kind of purse up in that group, it's actually a narrower collection of players because there isn't really anybody on Boston or Toronto or the Spurs unless Kawhi blows up that is really going to be glamorous in those counting stats, even if Curry's worse. So we'll see. But he, he should certainly be in that mix, even if he takes a little bit of a step back, which you also have to expect because whenever somebody has a history setting year, you expect a regression of the mean. That's just the way all this works. So last up in terms of the guys who are going to be on the team, for sure, is Ian Clark. Ian Clark is 25. He turns 26 in March. He was on the Warriors last year, but had two prior years of experience. And he will be making his minimum this year. He re-signed after everything that happened with KD. And that means because of his other experience that he will be an unrestricted free agent with early bird rights next summer. So that allows the Warriors a little bit of flexibility to pay him more money if he wants to come back. We don't really know if he will be. And what I found fascinating digging up stuff on Ian Clark is that he played more minutes as a true point guard than I had thought. So he played 577 minutes last year in total and 276 of those. So that's a little less than half were without Stephen Curry and Sean Livingston. And while Iguodala can handle the offense a fair amount, if you're playing Clark and Iguodala together, you can kind of bounce around who's the primary guy. And the Warriors did pretty well in that stretch. They they scored 106.1 points per 100 possessions, which is quite good. For reference, Portland with their whole team, so that includes the starters and garbage time and everything, They had that exact total for the season, and that was seventh in offensive efficiency in the league. So the Warriors did well. However, it should be noted that about a third of those minutes came in the first three quarters. That means the rest of them were in the fourth quarter. You can kind of count those as garbage time. I'm not able to parse the stats well enough to know for sure. So that is something to note. However, in the first through third, in those just 92 minutes, super small sample size, the Warriors scored 116 points per 100 possessions, which was close to the number I said for Curry before as being a ridiculous number. It's a small sample. You can't read too much into it. But what that means is that Ian Clark can be more. And we saw the Warriors use that in the playoffs when Curry was limited at most notably, actually, in the Rockets series, Clark had one really, really good game. I think it was game four and did a nice job in that series. And the question with Clark is really how they want to use him and how does that scale? Because he can work in this team as being the his, his role being the backup shooting guard and also being the third point guard. There are not enough minutes to make that a, a real big thing. It's not like you're stretching him too thin or anything like that. But that is asking a lot if the worst case scenario happens because as was discussed before, Sean Livingston can't really up his minutes. And so if Clark then becomes either the nominal starter or becomes, you know, a heavy use backup and still has to play minutes of the two, the Warriors are going to have some decisions to make. And they don't really have a lot of flexibility to slide other guys around. We'll talk about the two guards tomorrow, but right now there isn't another point guard on the roster. It's Curry, Livingston, and Ian Clark who can dabble in that position. Maybe he can play it more. And Clark played a lot more minutes last year. He played five 
578, which was more than the the other two seasons of his NBA career combined, which is 364. So we're not dealing with a player who has a a, a lot of in-game time, though he, of course, has plenty of practice time and everything like that. So they're going to need to feel really comfortable with that. And an indication that they are is that the Warriors only brought in, as of now, one player who you would really consider a point guard to be in the competition for that last spot. And the one guy they brought in is Phil Pressey. Phil Pressey, like Ian Clark, is 25, turns 26 during the season. We don't know the exact terms of his contract, but presumably it's going to be the minimum and lightly guaranteed or non-guaranteed. And since he hasn't been on the Warriors, it seemed good to do a little bit of background. Pressey is the son of an NBA player. His dad, Paul, played 10 years, I think mostly for the Celtics, and was actually Lakers' assistant under Byron Scott. It sounds like he isn't under Luke Walton. Phil, his son, the now Warrior, went to Missouri, left after his junior year when he was an honorable mention for AP's All-American team, which is a pretty notable accomplishment. The concern on him when he came out and he went undrafted, he was expected to be a second round pick and went undrafted. That's not a huge deal considering how the second half of the second round goes. Usually teams take Euros to keep their draft rights and they let the other guys go through unrestricted to go through free agency, undrafted free agency. And in a somewhat unsurprising move, Pressy went to the Celtics. He had played some AAU ball in Waltham, which is where Boston does a lot of their training stuff. His dad had played for the Celtics. And so the concerns that led to him falling, despite having, you know, some success in college when he went to Mizzou, was that he was a really talented passer, but that he couldn't score. And it has really been that duality that has defined Pressy at this point in his career. He has a 2.65 assist to turnover rate, which is fantastic. So that means for every five assists he gets, he only turns the ball over twice. That's really, really good. Like that that's a ratio that anybody in the league would be happy with. However, and, and he assists at a high rate. You know, he, he's not a, a bad assister in any way, shape, or form. But he's never even shot 40% from the field, which is horrendous. Like you have he hasn't even gotten to bad yet. And he's never made more than 27% of the his threes. So you're dealing with small samples in terms of him as an NBA player because he bounced around a little bit, but Pressy is more of that distributor role. It's hard to see him playing a big role on a great team. However, he would be a great guy to have. Probably the ideal would be to have him in the D-League, have him on the Santa Cruz Warriors, and then if you need him for an injury replacement, for a 10-day, for something like that, then you have him so close that it's easy to do. That is something that teams are going to do in the D-League more often now, and Pressy is a great fit for that if he is willing to do it. That's an open question. One thing that is different for a guy who went undrafted and is now on his, I believe his fourth team that he'll actually theoretically get minutes on is that Pressy has actually played because he started his career on that Celtics team that if you'll remember Rajon Rondo tore his ACL so Rajon Rondo was their was their starter tore his ACL wasn't available to play so Pressy even started and I think he had 10 assists and no turnovers in the game so he has done it and he, he was reasonably successful in some stretches with the Celtics he bounced around a little bit last year played some for the Sixers and the Suns when they were dealing with injuries so kind of maybe a similar role to what he could expect with Warriors. Pressy, at this point, you know, 25 turning 26, it's hard to expect that he will get a lot better than he is. I mean, you always hope that a guy can get a shot, but when that is the red flag as far ago as it was for him in the draft and everything else, and to not be there, but when somebody can pass and create for other people the way that he can, it's somebody that you want to have around. 
And I, I really like the signing just to have him in camp and the possibility that he can make the team. And if he's willing to do the D-League dance, which he did with the Celtics, though he, he was getting paid more money, was a really good thing. And so we'll see if that's what ends up happening with Pressy to, to strike that dynamic because it is hard to find steady point guard help. And so if the Warriors have to deal with that due to injury or whatever, or just fatigue, you know, the, when, when we're getting into January, when you can get 10-day contracts, having Pressy around would be a wonderful thing if it's possible. They're also a serious contender if anybody does get a buyout though point guard is probably the least likely position if they're healthy at the time because the Warriors have a star at number one and have one of the best backups in the league so I wouldn't expect it but if something were to happen to either of them Golden State becomes the gold standard for a point guard who gets bought out whether that be somebody like Jose Calderon or something else if there's enough interest I'll actually I'm thinking about doing a podcast before the season starts on early speculation on who could be buyout people just based on what I know about the league and all that sort of thing because it is really important so if you're interested in that let me know uh this was ben this was kind of fun to do this as a solo exercise we're gonna maybe try out something uh, again this will depend on listener interest about putting out my notes which are a combination I, I mean some of it i read from some of it i didn't and putting that on the athletic which is the site that most of my warriors content comes out at my written content and so to, to basically to kind of see how the sausage is made here and if you're interested in that reach out to me on twitter danny larue d-a-n-n-y l-e-r-o-u-x or danny mba at gmail.com let me know what you think if that sounds like something you would enjoy it isn't hard to do i already have the notes on my computer but if it isn't something you get much out of i don't need to take the time i don't need my editors to take the time to paste it and do all that kind of stuff to make it a little bit prettier so you can also reach out to the locked on podcast itself if for whatever reason you don't want to reach out to me personally that is locked on dubs on twitter you can also go to locked on warriors at gmail.com or locked on warriors on facebook and comments and insight is always welcome positive negative i mean it's great if it can have some sort of suggestion if it's negative but some of that stuff has come into play and has been really helpful so let me know what you think let me know what can make the show better i will have more guests in the future already lining them up already have as i said have john charks for what for that'll be friday's episode on centers we actually already recorded it which is super weird for me but it was a lot of fun to do and because he was uh he was gonna be on because he knows zaza patrulia super well he's close closest to the mavericks and javel so we actually talked about javel mcgee for a while which is fun and that will be locked on for this week already looking like so next monday is media day so i don't know exactly what content i will do from that whether it'll be my insights or whether i'll actually get usable audio and just have have that included need to talk to the warriors pr staff about that but it's it's pretty exciting to just kind of get this to get this going and uh, so much fun and so so happy to have you along for the ride we're still about a month from the meaningful basketball and the warriors are different because training camp battles aren't as much of a thing we'll talk about elliot williams tomorrow but there isn't as much there as there are for other teams but this is arguably the most interesting team in the league overall and so there are plenty of angles on it and if you have anything that you definitely want us to talk about i've gotten a little bit already on the facebook page for locked on warriors i will try to hit all of that during this time and hopefully try to find smart people to talk about it with and that will continue throughout the season so thank you so much for listening take care and make it a great day ace is the place with the helpful hardware folks it's ace's biggest led light bulb sale of the year right now buy one get one free on our best-selling led light bulbs our four pack of led bulbs is 9.99 and our two pack of led floodlights is only 12.99 buy one get one free there's no limit on how much you can save so stock up now hurry in Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. 
San Jose Sharks hockey is back, and we've got you covered five days a week at Locked On Sharks. I'm Kyle Demetrius. I'm J.D. Young. I'm Eric Fowl. Together, we make sure you're never without your Sharks programming. Will the Sharks make a trade for a right winger? We got you covered. Will Eric Carlson's groin hold up for the entire season? We've got you covered. Whatever happens with Team Teal every day, we've got you covered at Locked On Sharks five days a week on the Locked On Podcast Network. This is Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world. If you are looking for information regarding fantasy basketball, recaps of the NBA, this is the show for you. We are heading into the offseason and starting to get ready for the 2020-2021 fantasy season. We'll have all the information on what happens through the rest of the playoffs, free agency, the NBA draft, and then heading into a big 2021 season. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.